Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. This week we are joined by Emily Rose Jacobson. Hi! I like to start from the very beginning. How did you first get involved with tabletop RPGs? Ooh, that's a great question. So I got into them a little later in life. I'd always played RPG games, and so I was familiar with the the role-playing aspect in that uh, but it wasn't until college that I really got into tabletop RPGs. Actually, specifically, I can trace it back to watching the community episode where they play D&D, because it was in that episode where I realized that tabletop RPGs were essentially just group storytelling. And these big group storytelling moments, it wasn't just a game, it was everyone working together to tell a story together. And it was from watching that episode of Community that made me want to get into it. And so I played my first D&D session. I believe it was my senior year, either my junior or my senior year of college. And my DM was Joey Hayek, or Joey Hayek, my apologies, uh, who then went on to co-write the Critical Role module with Matthew Mercer. So it, I had really cool, I had a really great GM or DM to start with. So that was really special. What was your first character? Oh, yes. Uh, Irsa. She, we needed a fighter in the group. I'm very much in video games. I always play a rogue. So I was really bummed that I didn't get to play a rogue, but we desperately needed a fighter. So I said, fine, I'll be a fighter. That's kind of the player I am where uh, whatever we need, I will, I will play as, I will, I will RP as. Uh, so I created Irsa, who was this fighter who later evolved into kind of this barbarian character, um, who, yeah, was like on a quest to find out what happened to her sister. She left her family. She left her clan in the North. It was her destiny to go find out what happened to her sister. Everyone presumed that her sister was dead. She is, she believes that her sister is still alive, her twin sister. Uh, and it's based on that instinct alone that she ventures off and then found the original adventuring party. About how long did that campaign go on for? That campaign lasted, I think, about eight sessions. Uh, so over a little over two to three months, which was really, really nice. We had a really nice rhythm going on, but I think it started to wrap up when kind of finals and more and more college work started to kind of pile on t all of our plates. So we had to put the the RPG on hold, which I was very sad to do, but it was such a it was such a great taste for for what was to come. Did it go on permanent hiatus then? It did. I would I wish I could bring it back, but we're kind of all over the place. I know that there's uh, apps out there that let you that let everyone kind of remotely play together, but I have I don't think no one no one has instigated our, our original party getting back together. So, but maybe I will now. Is there anything you learned from the first GM you had that you still use today? I think what stuck out to me was. As a player, when I got my first inspiration point, because I was just playing in character, I was playing Irsa, the soul fighter, and then um, I was sitting, I was trying to, at this one point in the campaign, we had to sneak into this uh, kobold camp, 
and where all these other mercenaries were. And so I said I dressed up and I wanted to blend in. And so my DM was like, great, you're going to tell a story around the fighter and you're going to see how well you blend in. So I ended up telling like this epic tale about how I took down like it was how I took down this one person and I made the story about someone we knew in real life. And so that's what made it even funnier is that I was weaving our, our one friend in real, real life into the, our fantasy RPG and when I got my first inspiration point because of how well I, I was in the story or I told the story in character, that really stood out to me and that I didn't want that to be just a random occurrence. I wanted that to, that energy to be throughout the entire campaign. And so that's kind of where I come from with my DMing and GMing uh, mindset is very much descriptive, very much immersive details, being in character, telling stories in character, letting letting that inspiration moment influence the entire campaign instead of just one specific moment. And when did you get to run a game yourself for the first time? I got to run a game myself for the first time it was actually uh, on Hyper RPG. It was the, the little goblin quest game. That was the first one I ran by myself. I had kind of drafted a few for friends in the past, and I had been the wagon master on Oregon Trail Uncharted, which is a live action improv show based off of the Oregon Trail video game that I created and developed at Impro Studio in Los Angeles. So I was used to kind of directing and leading stories and creating stories. And I had written out a few campaigns and pitch, had pitched a few ideas in my head, but it was the Goblin Quest that I did during a hyperdrive, uh, possibly this time last year. That uh, was the first time I really sat in the big the big GM chair. What kind of prep did you do to get ready for that game? Oh my goodness! I I wrote out this entire story. I had all of the perks laid out. I had all of the details laid out. I was so meticulous about that game. Um, I believe one of the perks we could have we we re reached that we could have reached to and that we did reach was that I played Benedict Cumberbatch playing Smaug from um, the Hobbit films because I believe there's a gif of that somewhere. Uh, and so that was so much fun just because it was in that moment that I was really playing off of everyone at the table. And what really helped too is that two of my really good friends that I was improvising with a lot of the time, Cody Bushy and Stephen Maloney from The Bearded Men, uh, the, Bearded, the Bearded Company Los Angeles, uh, they were at that table. They were part of that hyperdrive. And so I'd already played with them in, in, in an improv setting. So it was when I was jamming, I was like, oh, yeah, this is improv. And I pulled on all of my improv uh, skills and abilities to justify all the different storylines, to justify all the perks, to justify what the characters were doing along with the story and all the details that I had written out. Do you think that improv background has helped you more as a GM or as a player? So I, I'm actually a huge, huge advocate for this. I think that improv training and improv classes make a better player, make a stronger player, and make a stronger GM. Because the whole aspect of improv is saying yes and. It's saying yes and then what happens. And I think that it's crucial for players to say yes and to a GM and to their story. And I also think that it's crucial for a GM to say yes and to a player 
and what they want to do. It's it's a group storytelling uh, experience. That's how I really. That's how I resonate with uh, tabletop RPGs, and that's how I see them. Uh, is that this? It's this group storytelling. I'm as a GM. I'm not just telling a story, and as players, you're not just like playing in it. Like we are all telling the story together. We're all adding piece by piece by piece, and so um, my improv skills really come out probably mostly in my in my GM abilities because it's thinking on the fly and it's, um, yeah, just grabbing onto the next thing or, yep, you did this. Great. This is what's going to happen. And thinking that quick thinking, uh, just comes from listening and being in the moment and being present. It's not like I have a quick brain or anything. It's just that I'm in the moment with the character and it's just the natural thought of what comes next. If one of the listeners wanted to, dip their toe into the improv pool, what kind of resources would you suggest they check out first? Ooh, I would definitely look and see uh, in your town, if your town has a local theater company, or if your town has any kind of improv classes or improv performance, definitely look into that. Uh, I'm going to pull up the name of a book right now that really helped me. Um, but yeah, if you live in a big city like Chicago or New York or Los Angeles or even Seattle, Houston, Austin, uh, Portland, those are all very, very big cities. Oh, um, uh, Florida in Sarasota in Orlando, a lot of major cities definitely have improv scenes and you will have a plethora of options to pull from. Let me just pull up this book title because it was a... A very good book that I liked. Uh, of course, I read Impro by Keith Johnstone. That is the that is the book that Impro Theater is based off of. Keith Johnstone is very much comes from a narrative improv standpoint. So people think a lot about improv. They think a lot of short form. They think whose line is it anyway, where it's these quick kind of short bits, uh, which whose line is based off of some some of what Keith Johnstone does. But he very much advocates for for narrative moments, for storytelling, for being in the moment, for for letting your partner release your imagination and then you in turn releasing your partner's imagination. Group storytelling in an essence. Uh, but the book, that, the other book that I really, really like is called Improvise, Scene from Inside Out by Mick Napier. There is a version that has an intro by Stephen Colbert that's really, really great. And that's a great book that um, I've used to read. So if you don't have, if you're not able to access any kind of improv class in your area, definitely recommend Impro by Keith Johnstone and Improvise Scene from the Inside Out by Mick Napier. Moving on to some of the other shows that you have GM'd, like Fetch Quest mm -hmm. and the Rat Queens RPG. Uh, both of those used Dungeon World. Was that your choice? Well, originally when the Rat Queens RPG was pitched to me, uh, it was brought up that uh, Adam Coble, one of the creators behind Dungeon World, and Curtis, Curtis Weeb, the creator behind Rat Queens, had actually been working together to create a Rat Queens RPG system a while ago. So we have those documents and we had those rules made available to me. So essentially we we were playing in this we were playing in this space, we were playing in this world that was already created. We had this really specific um 
blend of like Dungeon World and these kind of specific Rat Queens rules. We had this specific system just for this game. And so when Fetch Quest was kind of, or this basically, it was pitched to me to, so before Rat Queens, let's have you do a mini campaign, mini campaign in the Dungeon World system, just so you can get used to it. And just so the audience can get used to it too. And I said, that's great. So that's where Fetch Quest came from using the Dungeon World system. Uh, and then, yeah, Rat Queens was kind of evolved from that and is now a modified Dungeon World system. So I think all of my training in Dungeon World has helped me so much with starting Rat Queens in that I was able to sit in that GM chair and say, great, I know the system essentially inside and out. Is there anything about the system that you prefer over traditional D&D? I do like that the Dungeon World, which is part of the whole... uh the Apocalypse World RPG family uh, is very narrative story based. There are no, there's no initiative order. There's no rolling for initiative. Uh, there's no, like, I'd like to do a perception check or I'd like to do an intelligence check. There's no, I see that as like D&D, which is super fun. It's where my first games were. I love D&D so much. D&D is very much uh, based along those kinds of rules. Where Dungeon World is very much, what are you feeling in the moment? Well, I'd like to, I'd like to see what's going on with this character. Great, let's get, to, let's roll a get situated roller. Great, let's get, uh, let's roll a, um, yeah. So you like get situated in your situation, and or you can roll to see what that character is about. And it's yeah, you don't roll for initiative. It's you jump into the fight or you you participate when you feel inspired to, which I love because that feels so natural. That feels like a comic book. That feels very like it harkens to my improviser and creative writing selves in that it's very natural. And so coming playing an RPG based off a comic book, based off of a um, a pre-established world and concept and characters the more story-based i could like the more story-based the rpg the better for this series preferring that narrative focus how do you feel about fudging dice rolls Ooh, um i do not i do not fudge any dice rolls but that's also too because as in, that's what's so unique about the Dungeon World system is that I don't really roll dice. I hardly roll dice. It's all based on the dice that is rolled by the characters. So essentially, like, say, here comes a goblin running towards one of our heroes. I'm going to say, great, this goblin is charging at you. What do you want to do? And then they make a rule, they make a move based off of their rule sheet. Uh, if they roll a 10 or above, Complete success. Yep, you dodged out of the way. Uh, a seven to nine. Oh, you might dodge a little bit, but he just might end up kind of stabbing you real quick as you kind of you slowly roll out of the way. And then in a six and below, it's complete and utter failure. You stand there and the goblin just like spears you. So I'm never rolling dice really for enemies. I have occasionally rolling dice for other NPCs just if it's spur of the moment. Um, and for when other performers and players are not at the table that night, I will then roll dice as their character. But for the majority, when we have all five rat queens there, the majority of the rolls are done by the ladies and there's cameras on those dice trays. So they're not really fudging anything. With part of the mechanics being success, but at a cost, 
how do you keep from making a success but at a cost feel like a failure? I think because it's a it's a healthy balance of you do succeed. You do succeed, but you, you at a cost. It's not a complete utter success. So yeah, you're able to land a hit on this uh, rock golem. You're able to kind of knock him off his balance. But in because you were so close trying to get this done, when he kind of reestablishes himself, he accidentally steps on your foot and breaks your foot. So it's this it's I think it's very much a narrative. That's what's the pro about Dungeon World is that these mixed successes feel good and work because it's a narrative game. And so I'm describing the mixed success. It isn't just oh, I rolled of it's it's kind of like in D and D. I've had I've had a number of of DMs. Uh, in D&D who interpret dice rolls in different ways. And I think that's the whole aspect of Dungeon World is with this mixed success. How am I interpreting it? And some mixed successes are going to be a little bit easier. They're going to be a little bit more lenient in their punishment. And just depending on where the story is, some some mixed successes, my splosives, sorry, um, are going to be a little bit harder. They're going to have a little bit more of a stronger consequence depending on where the story is and what is needed. Because with the Rat Queens RPG, we're not just creating a story with the people at the table. We're creating a story with the audience on Hyper RPG, and we're creating this engaging story that you want to be a part of. So there are, I guess you could say I fudge dice rolls in that, if you quote-unquote fudge dice rolls. Sometimes I'll make consequences a little heavier, depending on what the situation calls for, especially if they're trying to do a bogus little move, then I'm going to say, yeah, the consequences are a little bit stronger in that situation because you just tried to steal this thing right in front of this person's face. How did the show get cast? Well, originally from the get-go, um, we and made, um, this Zach and I, hands down, wanted... Uh, a good number of the women from Ripley Improv to be a part. Uh, Ripley Improv had performed on Hyper RPG a few times. They had also been guests multiple times on the gauntlet. They're this amazing company of talented, brilliant, and courageous improvising women. Uh, and so I think a while ago, Jess had pitched, she pitched to Zach, Hey, I want Ripley RP, Ripley should do an RPG. We'd love to do an RPG show. And so when I was approached to, to D, to GM, uh, the Rat Queens RPG, it definitely was, yep, we're going to cast some of the women from Ripley. So I, and it all came down to, to, uh, who was available with their schedule. Like, uh, Amanda unfortunately lives a little too far away. So she kind of, opted out and saying that it was going to be hard for her to make to weekly make a trip up to where the studio was. Uh, but there, but then from there, it was very much great. Who do we have? We got Jess, we got Lori and we got, uh, Elisa, who are these three incredible actors and women and creators and nerds. Uh, and then we wanted, we knew we wanted those three. And then I love Michelle. I love her energy. I think she's so fun. And so putting her, casting her as Betty was incredibly easy too, because she'd express interest in playing in a fantasy RPG on the channel. And I said, oh my gosh, she'd be the most perfect Betty. And then we knew from the get-go that we wanted Riley, who had been on our, who had been on Hyper a few other times before as well, playing Doctor, the Doctor in Emma's Doctor Who RPG. I knew that Riley uh, was such a great 
player and performer and that she would just kill it as Braga. So it was, it was a very, it was a very joyful casting process. The the one fear from me was that people weren't going to be available, but luckily everyone was available and that's how we formed. I can't imagine this show. I can't imagine doing this show with any other people, honestly. As you have spent more time playing with the players and their characters, have you learned how to manipulate them more narratively? For playing with Jess, Laurie, and Aliza, I've improvised with them a lot at Impro Studio in Los Angeles. Uh, That's where I met all of them. And so we've been playing, uh, I've been telling stories with them and improvising with them for the past three years. So I know them very, very well. I know how to kind of bring story out of them. And I know how each of them improvises and plays in their own unique way. Uh, It's been really interesting and super fun getting to discover how Michelle and Riley perform and play because I haven't interacted with them or haven't played an RPG with them from the GM's chair. So this has been a really, really super fun discovery in that uh, I love finding out what Michelle kind of reacts to and what she focuses on very much. uh, I loved how she kind of attacked in the first episode. I gave away a big hint to the plot and she just knew it and so she wanted to focus on it and I admire that because that's how that's how I am as a player too but it's it's fun finding these Betty moments in her she's had these really sweet moments with other characters so that's where I'm saying like okay cool I want to I want to play to more of those moments and then with Riley I love Riley Riley is um a brilliant brilliant performer and it's super fun seeing what she and Braga react to. Like in last week in episode seven, there was a moment where uh, an NPC was gaslighting Violet. And it was so fun seeing uh, Braga and Riley, the character and the performer, both react and and just support Violet and Lori uh, and just just take a stance against this gaslighting thing. Cause perhaps it's something that they relate to. It's something that I definitely relate to. Because you're GMing in an established setting and with established characters, do you feel pressure to keep characters accountable and true to their previous characteristics? I definitely do a big, a big, uh, thing for me with this RPG is staying true to Curtis's characters, Curtis's world, the tone of of Curtis's world and his creations, because it's such an honor to have someone who's created this incredible world and these, uh, these amazing characters, and for them to say to you, essentially, go have fun, go play. Uh, Curtis has been so supportive this entire process, and he's been very much like, this is yours. This is absolutely your journey. Um, I'm here to provide any kind of, to answer any questions that you may have, or to go over anything, but this is very much you playing in the world with my characters. And so I appreciate that. And I love that. And that's so special and sacred to me so that I, and I love these characters. I don't want them to do things that are out of character unless it is prompted for them to act out of character because we have, perhaps they're pushed through their limits or perhaps they're acting irrationally. So, uh, each, each performer has done such a great job of really researching and delving into 
the character that they are playing. I love Riley so much. She especially just sent me all of this, like, questions. We just talked about Braga a lot because at that point in time when we were kind of in the in the production process before we aired the RPG, there wasn't a lot. Braga hadn't had this big arc or this a lot of character moments in the series. Like, in the most recent uh, publication, I believe it's Rat Queen's uh, Volume 17, the, the closing kind of chapter of this most recent uh, series, there's this huge, it's all about Braga. It's, it's Braga's journey. It's Braga's, I won't give it away, but it's, it's a lot of Braga. And it was so wonderful finally with that, with that book finally coming out and Riley being like, yes, like, ah, yes. All the things I thought about this character confirmed. And now I really like know who this character is. And so there are a few moments where maybe, uh, someone will, a a player will do something they think is funny or they think, uh, they think is good. Uh, but may not be in character, but that's when it's, it's really funny to see if it if it succeeds or fails because I don't want to as a GM I never want to st- go outright and say no like does, that harkens back to my improv training you never say you don't say no you say yes and so if they are doing something out of character I'll kind of say yes and I'll say it in that way and uh and yeah I kind of will redirect it in some way or have an NPC kind of call them out and or even another player will usually call out someone who's acting out of character and saying like what is, what are, what are you doing so it's not just me who's catching it it's everyone at the table who is so just um knee deep in their character knowing what their character wants knowing how they would react to certain situations and then yeah if someone's out of character it's not just me who notices it's all the other players too so i've seen curtis in the chat during the show has he given you any feedback yet I have not received, um, I've not received any emails. I definitely saw the, his Instagram story from the, from the night it aired, the, the premiere. And that, like, I had to kind of sit down for a second. It, it process, it took a while to process. And then I cried a lot later because I was just so happy with how the premiere went. As opposed to a lot of GMs who are just playing at home in a casual setting, you're actually working in something of a time slot. How do you draw the line between when a scene should conclude versus letting them play out the scene and just kind of chewing the scenery? Ooh, that's a good question. Um... Well, I'm definitely always checking the clock, uh, but I build episodes in a way that are, they are descriptive, they are detailed, there's a lot of options that can happen, but also these, these episodes are, are, are very open. I essentially write uh, detailed guidelines to my episodes. Of course, I have what I want to be conveyed in each of them, and for instance, I, on episode seven, the most recent episode to this point, um, I had pitched at the end of the last episode, I had told Lori, I said, Hey, so Violet has this family home, um, that y- I want, you can suggest that everyone go travel to just, to just lay low at for a while. Um, and I honestly thought that after episode six, that with episode seven, we were going to leave Palisades and we were going to just go to Violet's home and just really kind of have these heart to heart moments and just kind of settle ourselves in. But instead, uh, 
all the all the queens were really set on going looking for this little six year old uh Colborn. Colborn Prosencrantz. And so they went to the they went to the festival grounds and then we we hit our I'm also like noticing seeing what the chat is voting on poll wise, what's being added incentive wise. And then at that point, we reached our goal, which I said, uh, which at $500 is I get to make a, a bold move. I get to make a, a GM move. So at that point, I said, great, yep, the guards are here. You're going to, they're going to try and arrest you, essentially. And so I wanted us to get to Violet's home as soon as possible because I wanted to have these great character moments. But they were having, they were doing a lot of discovery. They were doing a lot of, of character work while pursuing their own ideas and their own plots and i said great yeah okay this is working but as soon as the fight was concluded i knew that great we're not gonna have them on the road we're not gonna have them i had written out this whole tavern that we didn't go to that was essentially a pit stop a road stop tavern uh where they could have stayed the night but i just kind of flash forward flash forwarded us to arriving at Violet's summer family, Violet's family's summer home, because I was like, great, we need, I want us to get here now. So it's always like, it's, I'm always following these guidelines. It just, it's kind of a choose your own adventure from the GM's chair of, okay, great. We're going down this path and then this is going to happen so that we can get there. Do you have a path that you regret not taking due to time limitations? Ooh, um, not that I regret not taking. There was one path that I was I I had pitched. Basically, we have these the two poles that run during the show. One during the beginning, one during intermission. I believe it was during the first um, summer solstice festival episode. There was a poll that either the rat queens could either participate in the bard off or they could go judge the the feats of strength and i we got to see some of those characters from the feats of strength in the second um summer solstice episode but i was really like hoping that they would go to this jousting and fighting match too i knew i knew the chat wanted them to to run into our bard friends again but um yeah it was I, that was going to be super fun i loved creating those characters and then they spent a lot of time in the vip tent in that first uh Summer Solstice episode, I had eight pages written of description of each stall and each booth and each NPC that was working at each stall and each booth. And I hinted at a few of them, but there was so much more I had written out that I didn't get to use. Um, but it was, it was fun knowing that like I had all of those descriptor, descriptors written and I had all of that imagery in my own head as a GM. Uh, I wish I could have shared it with everyone, but you know what? That's how the that's how the dice are rolled, as we say in the tabletop world that I just made up. <laughs> have you ever considered putting in uh, posting of GM notes and planning as part of a uh, show incentive? Ooh, I have not. That's an interesting show incentive, though. Like, the showing of, like, what I have planned or the possible options that I have written out. Or from a previous episode so that it wouldn't give too much of the plot movement away. Ooh, yes. I like previous episode. That would actually be really fun because there was a there was a whole tavern in last episode, like I said. If they had gotten on the road sooner, I would have had them make this pit stop at this kind of... Uh, eccentric kind of road stop, this kind of pit stop tavern. Uh, 
that would have been really, really fun. And they would have gotten, I had a little bit more information about kind of the, the chaosium, the old gods, the overall plot with these NPCs. But, uh, I, I like the idea of sharing it with the audience, but I also kind of want to hold off because in an instance like that, I say, great, those are, that's a group of characters. Those are some NPCs. And that's a situation that I can bring back at another time. If I want to, like, that's an idea I have. Great. I have it written down. Awesome. We can, if there's another, if there's another time, if there's another place for me to explore those characters or to bring those characters into the story, they already have them created and I have all their information there and I can just use it. And that will be a surprise to the audience rather than them seeing, oh, it's the character that Emily had written out 10 episodes ago. Oh, they're appearing here. Do you have an ideal ending to the season or the first, uh, the major arc that they are on now? Oh, yes. There is a very clear ending. And how do you keep them on the ideal pace? Do you have to conclude it within a certain number of episodes? Or is it let them get as far as they want to get? Well, with this plot, there are there's a specific kind of there's a number element to it. There's a specific number of things that I have to do as a GM in order to and that I have to do in front of the Rat Queens in order to get us to this to this the the overall plot, the big the big conclusion. Um Centrally they they don't have any control over over it. I don't think that it's it's built in a way in a and I purposely built it in a way knowing these players, knowing these characters, knowing the world. I thought to myself, what is like this crazy plot that only the rat queens would be a part of? And this came out of what Curtis has talked about and kind of his inspiration for the Rat Queens. I'm not going to go into specifics because I could very easily give away what I have planned. So I'm going to keep it as vague as possible. But essentially, um, they are on track for this plot no matter what. This is a, this is like kind of an overall plot. I mean, we had we had we had Braga kind of essentially talking against it in episode six at the end of episode six, saying, "Well, we shouldn't." We shouldn't go pursue these these artifacts. Like we're it, the the poem said, like those who try to stop it will not succeed. Will not stop it. But um, you put that in there, like you put that. But like, does it really mean that they don't know what is truth? What is lie? What are we actually in control of? So um, they are on this path and they are on this journey. And I think too, as a GM, it's creating inspiring and intriguing ways to get your your players to be involved in the main story whether they know it or not you create these interesting incidents or you create these moments and then even if they do like veer off from the story path you always are finding a way to to bring it back oh well this was there the whole time or oh this npc that you thought was just a random npc when you diverted from what you thought was the main plot was actually the main plot all along so did you have a plan B in place if Braga won out and they decided not to go after it? Oh, yeah. It would have found them. <laughs> the plot is coming after our rat queens no matter what. So after the show wraps up on Wednesday night, what does the process look like 
to get to the next episode. It's a lot of decompressing and celebrating Wednesday night after I finish. That's usually when I eat dinner. Um, and then just kind of, uh, especially if I get any notes from Zach or Malika, or we talk about like, hey, uh, maybe let's try this next week. I'll, I'll get those after the show um, if there are any notes. And then usually don't i kind of like i'm i'm as i'm driving back and forth from my job that's when i really get because i have an hour-long commute that's when i usually get really inspired and i'll think of oh what about this idea for this character oh what about this idea for this instance because i love listening to video game soundtracks i love especially fantasy video games i love uh the breath of the wild soundtrack i love the skyrim soundtrack i love the dragon age inquisition soundtrack i love the witcher 3 soundtrack I love all of these fantasy scape soundtracks. And so I'm putting, I'm playing those in my car as I'm thinking of, okay, what's, what's the goal I want to accomplish next week? What's the idea that I want to accomplish next week, next week? Do I want them to get to a place? Do I want them to have met someone? Do I want them a piece of information to be revealed? So it's, it's working, it's walking backwards from that. It's saying, cool, what do I have? What's, what's the end goal of this episode? Great. And then it's just walking backwards and saying, well, this leads to this and then this leads to this. And oh, what if this character did this? And then it's about Sunday where I really kind of start laying out an outline. And then namely Tuesday night. Tuesday night is when I kind of just sit down and write out the details of the episode. And then on Wednesday, it's a nice, easy day at work. Uh, on my ride, on my drive from work to the studio, because I get there right before showtime, I'm doing a great job really try hard just to meditate while I'm driving in LA traffic. Uh, a very, very impressive feat. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm listening to these soundtracks. I'm listening to the things that get me inspired. I'm getting in the mindset of GMing this show. I'm not thinking about traffic. I'm not thinking about what I did at work that day. I'm not thinking about, oh, what am I going to eat for dinner? Oh, did I leave the stove on? Um, I'm, I'm ruminating and I'm getting settled in the mindset of the Rat Queens and I'm getting settled in my, in the mindset of our RPG and just making sure that I am as present as possible because if I'm off my game, then, then that affects the whole story. Like it's, I have to be on my game and being present and willing to play with whatever they're throwing at me and feeling confident and patient and just letting, just playing in that space with them. And if I'm not in that place, then it's, it's, then I start to feel stressed out in the GM chair. And then, uh, yeah, the players start to feel it too. And that's what I, that's the environment I don't want to create. So a lot of it too, is just getting in the mindset and getting in the playful space that is being a GM before my show. Do you go back and rewatch the episode? I will listen to the episode. I listen to it in podcast in my car. So I can namely, especially so I can hear uh, what description I use at the end of the episode. Cause sometimes I will write out a description, but because it's the end, it depends on where we are. I'll usually, uh, sometimes I have to improvise. It's about 50, 50 if I have it written out or if it's improvised. So I usually listen to what the ending of the episode, the previous episode was so I can reincorporate those, maybe those last two lines into the beginning of narration of the next episode. And then I especially listen for, um, for character voices. Cause I have so many different NPCs. I've had to start, I've had, I've had to start writing what 
accent or who I'm trying to imitate on their NPC card. Uh, a great suggestion by Malika, uh, using note cards to write down NPCs and, and locations and objects so that you can just find them at your fingertips. But I'm having to write down what accents I'm doing or, or what, uh, what famous actor I'm impersonating <laughs> with my, with my accent work. Uh, because that's the, that's the hardest thing for me to remember is who, who, who spoke in which way, who had the German accent, who had the Australian accent. Do you have any accents that you use just off the cuff that you have come to regret? Because you will have to keep doing the accent. Um, I think Veldrin is a mix of Cockney and, uh, Australian. And so that one's a little tricky because I, I definitely hear it in my voice. I'm like, oh, where's he going? Oh, there he is. Uh, there he is. There he is. And then um, I, for some reason, Bobbit, Bobbit, the hot water seller, I, I just kept pronouncing the word little that specific way. I kept hitting those explosives. I kept segmenting the word. So I kept saying little, little. And it was actually the players, all of the ladies at the table were finding it so funny what I was doing that they kept making me talk and they kept talking to that NPC. And so that essentially became that mannerism that that character had. Uh, Bobbit, the hot water seller, is very descriptive and uses the word little a lot because it was, it was so much fun. It was a joyful moment because all of a sudden... Uh, the ladies were cracking up and I was having it. I was like joyfully laughing too because they were having so much fun. It was just such a, a fun moment at the table. And I love those moments because I know everyone at home is having fun with us too. And that's what's great about like we're all telling the story together, but we're all having so much fun just sitting around and telling this story and these silly moments that come out of them. Now, because you have to do group world building not just between yourself and your players but also with the audience do you have any planning you do ahead of time trying to think one step ahead of chat there are some times with polls where i know i have a pretty good idea of what the chat will pick just based on uh what i know that they 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 love from that episode from the previous episode or what they gravitate towards in the show i always challenge the chat to surprise me uh with the polls but i i always know kind of what i haven't i haven't i i have i have my mind in the chat mind my mind to chat mind as spock would say um so I kind of know what they'll predict, but let me see. I love, I absolutely adore the NPCs that, that the chat has created. I want them to create more. I know it's a very high incentive, but I have absolutely adored every single NPC that they have created and bringing them to life because I get so inspired by what the chat provides. Um, and so it's been this beautiful, this beautiful storytelling dance that I've gotten to do with the chat in that uh, they surprise me and I surprise them. Uh, Riley is so sweet every week. Uh, she tells me that uh, she doesn't know what the chat provides or what I provide because to her, it feels so seamless. And I think that's the joy of, of storytelling with the chat and storytelling in this RPG with these characters that it is so narrative based that um, I'm able to weave everyone together into the same uh, little tapestry. Because you go back and listen to the episodes, 
have you pinpointed the word that you can't stop saying? My word I can't stop saying is particular or particularly. Particularly. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I think perhaps it's performance anxiety. And I'm one of those actors uh, and performers that doesn't like watching themselves. So when I listen to myself, I'm I'm not listening. Except if uh, if I'm listening for specific wording at the end of our of at the end of the episode, or if I'm li- listening for a specific accent, then I'm listening very closely. But I I tend not to focus too much on myself because I'm very much a very I'm a very strong critic of myself, like probably so many of us are, and that it's hard. Even though I perform almost every day and I'm an improviser and I'm and I'm on uh, on a camera in front of everyone on Twitch, I I still feel super self-conscious about either my voice or or if I'm stumbling over a word or if I say um or if I know that I'm like, oh, Emily, you weren't thinking uh, you got to just be go slow, go slow. If you go slow. Yeah. And I, I'm my, my own worst critic. And so. I don't think I know which word I say a lot. Um, I think I do. I think I do a lot of likewises, uh, just because that's my writing style. The way I write for Geek Girl Authority, which is um, a female-led online geeky news source website. I'm a video game contributor on that website. Uh, part of kind of the grammar program that our articles are run through, very much hints at like using words like moreover, likewise, although, finally. So I start my my article writing style sometimes finds its way in my creative writing style. So sometimes I have these very like, likewise, this character started to show up. So I have this very like specific writing style that sometimes appears in my RPGs, which I namely see much more in my writing than listening to it uh, in podcast form. As one of the players in Blood Curdling Tales from the Loop, do you think your GMing has been influenced at all by Cameron's style of GMing? I am constantly blown away by how Cameron can take all the silly things that we do and make it feel like it is part of the overall plot. That's what That was something that really I kept in mind a lot for Rat Queens, is that I was like, how did he like I just I just thought of this random thing out of my butt or I was like, or if I was like oh I have an idea that like all these puzzle boxes fit together in this way or maybe this is the color of the missing box and and then he'll reveal it later that it either was or wasn't or he weaves it in he is such a great weaver of of the chaotic a weaver of the of the ridiculous and and into making these kind of overall plots into reincorporating them making it feel like it was a plan all along uh, and I really admire that in his GMing style. And I think that is what I've kind of made sure to keep in mind with Rat Queens. It's like, yeah, make it always make it feel like that was the plan all along. Uh, make it make everyone feel that. Yep. Oh, that thing you were hinting at. Yep. You knew about that. That was part of the plot all along when actually you're just listening to your players and saying, yep. And I'm going to write that down, too. Now, with his GM style, I think with such a media influence i would call it almost a directorial style oh yeah he is i feel like that too just comes from his his creative background how would you describe your gm style improv <laughs> i would say that my gm style is very much uh improvising i'm a very i'm a very 
Uh, so that's who I am at the table is that I firmly believe that story RPGs, RPGs are just improv. I mean, I'm going to get deep here real quick. Um, you are essentially improving every day of your life. Like I am, we are, I am improvising this interview right now because I'm not reading from a script. I am simply letting the words come to my head and I'm saying them and I'm taking moments. And I'm taking beats and breaths and letting every moment influence the next. So we're constantly improvising every day. So if you're a person who says, I can't improvise, that's a lie because you do it every day. You are an improviser. We are all improvisers. So um, for me, it's a very natural way to play. And that's where it comes out because uh, I also, I think we call it improvised story, narrative improv. That's my, that would probably be my jam style because I'm very much into storytelling and group storytelling in that this RPGs are so special to me. It's, it's such a special experience for six people. I'm going to tear up six people to sit around a table and to all tell a story together. It's not like we're passing around a sheet of paper and we're writing the next line or, or any of that, but it's like, we're all playing together. We're all creating this world and this story and reacting off of each other. And it's so special to me. And it's so magical that that positivity and that joy also influences my, uh, GMing style as well. I actually got a note to, uh, I smile a lot when I GM because I'm having so much fun and that perhaps when moments are more dire or scary in situations, I shouldn't smile as much to help convey tone, but I'm just having such a ball up there telling stories with everyone that it's hard not to, it's hard, it's so hard not to smile every moment. One of the common things nowadays is for actual plays to have convention appearances uh, your players would already have predetermined outfits based on their characters, but what kind of outfit would you wear as the GM for a Rat Queen show? Ooh, um, well, I love the outfit that I wore in our promo shot, uh, and all the Rat Queens promo art. I'm in this uh, little black turtleneck. I love, I love just wearing neutrals as a GM because to me, it's I'm a neutral player. I can take on any persona. I can take on any form. Uh, and with that, I think I've actually worn this outfit once before on the show. I have this beautiful Legend of Zelda inspired kind of poncho capelet from Elhofer. It's got, it's like half of it has this beautiful green and gold and brown, uh, Triforce triangle patterns. And it just, the way I just feel in it, the way it just kind of like, I have my arms, like it feels like I'm wearing this majestic robe, like, that gives me a lot of inspiration and, and just kind of like, oh, the clothing, the clothing makes the man in essence, like that makes me feel so much like an enchanted character. So that will probably most likely be my outfit uh, if and when we do some convention appearances, which hopefully we will this year. So as always, I like to end with the modified house ruled PIVO questionnaire mm -hmm. as seen on a better show oh what is your favorite word oh hmm hmm oh that's so hard um positivity what is your least favorite word can't what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? 
exploring, like, uh, it's, I'm inspired by the world around me and the stories and the films and books and, and tabletop RPGs and, and images and podcasts that I, I experience all around me. And it's those that I listen to that inspire kind of my own creative ideas. And those ideas would hope, hopefully inspire other people. And it's just, it's this long, it's never ending creative circle that is really, really inspiring. What turns you off? Oh, restrictions, laws, rules, uh, staying inside of a box. I'll say that. Ah, so that's why you make the rules. Exactly. That's why it's a modified dungeon world system that I get to have an input on the rules with. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? Titties. What sound or noise do you love? When someone is really happy, because I do this a lot, and just goes, mm. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, just when people raise their voice. I absolutely hate it. What game system would you like to attempt to run? Urban Shadows. Is there something that draws you to the game? Um, I absolutely adore historical fiction mixed with um, magical creatures. It's actually, I've, I've had this idea for uh, a series of books since my high school days, and I worked on it in college, and I've always wanted to pursue it, and so I believe that playing that RPG and experiencing that world and exploring it will also bring inspiration to the book I'm writing or the series that I'm writing, or perhaps I interpret that series and those characters into the Urban Shadows RPG because it takes place, the idea I have takes place at around the turn of the century in New York. What game system would you not like to attempt to run? Hmm. Uh, the one Zach uses for ten candles. When your game concludes, what would you like to hear from your players? That was an amazing experience. And finally, and most importantly, if you could travel back in time to watch one person sneeze, who would it be? Who? Um... Hmm. Rod Serling. Probably a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Where can the insiders find out more about you? You can follow me on Twitter at frankly underscore Emily. You can follow me on Instagram at frankly underscore Emily with an extra little underscore. Uh, you can catch me regularly on Hyper RPG, 7 p.m. Pacific time uh, on Wednesday nights with the Rat Queens RPG. Uh, we, you can also catch the episodes on YouTube and they are available in podcast form. So if you can't catch it live, there are other ways you can enjoy the Rat Queens RPG. And then I also write for, like I said earlier, Geek Girl Authority. I usually share the articles that I write on my Twitter. So if you're interested in video game news, um, check out some of my pieces. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. 
Since the recording of this episode, it's been announced that the Rat Queens RPG will be making an appearance at Gen Con. So if you happen to be at the event, you can catch them live Thursday night at 10pm in the Westin Grand Ballroom. They'll also be streaming live on one of the main Twitch channels for Gen Con. Emily is also one of the cast members on Mass Effect at Phantom, a new straight podcast series put out by HyperRPG Monthly. Head on over to the Audio Entropy Podcast Network for more shows like this, Transmission Radio, a podcast where three trans women share their advice and anecdotal stories about their experience, D-Comedy, a monthly show where siblings Emma and Lucas go through the Disney Channel original movie backlog, and Basho and Till, a podcast that covers the grand sumo tournaments before, during, and after they happen, uh, presuming that Fabian and myself actually find time to record, which is not a guarantee. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember, a plan never survives first contact with the players and no tavern ever survives first contact with the Rat Queens.